0: Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message. So just before we jump in to look at what we're going to uh, be talking about this morning, I want to introduce two people to you. Uh, we have Kristen and Ashish. Do you want to guys stand up? Um, um, these are so kind. You're, you're clapping them before you even know if they deserve to be clapped, but uh, they do. Um, I just want to introduce these guys to. These guys are, are visiting. They um, uh, well, two weeks ago they just handed over the church that uh, they had been leading just outside Delhi in India, and and so they uh, we wanted to introduce them to. You. The reason we want to introduce them: to you, these guys first encountered us online during lockdown uh, in COVID, where they started watching some of the devotionals and the worship uh, kind of things that we posted, and and so we've been able to do. Liz, who's part of the team here, has done some training for their church network uh, on resilience, uh, and so this year they're part of our Encounter School of Mission, so they have been uh, tuning in from Delhi. Um, to be a part of that, not live, because I believe it's 2 a.m. the classes start, so we're disappointed with your lack of commitment uh, in that, but very well. So they've been catching up with that, uh, and so they're here um, visiting this weekend. Um, Kristen, you literally flew over just for this weekend um, to be a part of our services and to serve in teams and see what God's doing, so none of us have any excuse if we miss Sunday service now, right? They, they've come from Delhi, um, so like, it was a bit foggy this morning. Um, so, Really what I wanted to do is just highlight them. Guys, if we see them around in tea and coffee after the service, would you pray for them? Uh, Would you just, whatever God's speaking to you, we want to bless them as they return back. Uh, They're flying back um, to India tomorrow. They're just taking uh, a year to really discover what God has for them. They know they're called to their area. They know they're called to serve in that church. But would you give them anything God has for them today? That'd be great. Why don't we welcome again, guys. You can sit down. Thank you. So good. Yes, and we didn't make the joke that we made earlier that it's Delhi or London Delhi, whichever one you want, and all that stuff. Um, last week, we began looking at this idea of city transformation as part of what we've been looking at with the kingdom of God, the dynamic rule and reign of God. If this is your first week, uh, there's no way I can catch up everything that we've communicated on that uh, over the past six months, but I do encourage you to go back and listen to that. But last week, we began to talk about city transformation, and we began to talk about how we believe that God has called us as a church to be a church that seeks the transformation of the city. And what we said was the word city. What we don't mean is the GCSEG geography definition of city, but actually the biblical um, definition of city, which is every general population group of cities, towns, villages, hamlets, farms, and fields, and actually to see all things made new. So I'd encourage you to catch up with that last week. We really just unpacked the scripture, how from the start to the finish, talks about this idea of seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city. And this morning, I want to do something that's a little different in that. I'm going to teach for a little bit on this, but really what I want to do is to share some city-changing stories. Because I think what God wants to do is he wants to inspire us. He wants to transfer something to us. If last week was about what we can learn in our head, I think this week's about what we can feel in our heart and do with our hands. And so, we're going to share some stories. We're going to do some ministry uh, on that. And so, I just hope uh, that, that God speaks to us in incredible ways. If, if I was to ask you to describe God's characteristics, what are some of the things that make up God? You might shout back to me things like, Well, He is all powerful, He is everywhere. Uh, He is all-knowing, he is kind, he is gentle, he is compassionate, he is all of these things. And, And as I thought about this, about the characteristics of God, one of the things that I thought about God is how creative he is. Do you know that we serve the most creative God? Those of us that follow Jesus in the room today, we serve the most creative God, the God that created all of the heavens and the earth. And I know some of you might be here and you might not be a follower of Jesus and you're like, I'm not buying that. That, that he did all of that. I, I know some of my friends that don't follow Jesus They used to talk to me about this and they would say, there's no way it's illogical to believe that, that, that someone existed before anything and they created everything out of that nothing and now we've got something. It just doesn't make sense. And I, I used to say to them, I was like, yeah, humanly it makes no sense whatsoever. Humanly, like there's just no way it can happen, but with God it's perfect logic. In fact, there's nothing else more logical than him as creator, right? I mean, how do you even explain stuff? And I've been doing research. How do you explain that according to National Geographic that we've only discovered 65% of the surface planet of Earth? Right? That's not even going into what's in the oceans and the depths of the oceans, right? And we haven't even discovered this whole planet that we live on, and it's one of eight planets that go around our sun, which is one star that apparently is one of four billion other stars in the universe. We haven't done great. Right? (laughs) It's not a great start. How do you explain that according to National Geographic, we have 8.7 million species in the world and we've only discovered 1.2 million of them? I don't know how they make that estimate. (laughs) How do you explain that our genetic code, the the letters, the two letters that that make up all of our genetics, there's uh, 3.2 million different pairs of letters that describe us? I read on NHS website that it would take, um, if someone was to type out each of those letters that describe each genetic code that's in our body, it would take someone um, eight hours a day, if they could type uh, 60 words per minute, it would take them 50 years to type out all the combinations. So when you begin to think about stuff like that, you're like, tell me another logical way, right? You're going to tell me we landed here by accident? We came from some blob? Somewhere and evolved, or we got dropped off by some spaceship, I don't know. Right? <laughs> design needs a designer. And we have the most creative God. And here's the thing: He invites us to design with Him. He invites us to create with Him. For generations, human minds have partnered with His creative mind to, to make all things new, right? That's that's the goal. We've created human systems out of everything. We went through, I don't know how many human systems to get here today, right? The fact that we're here at at a time is a system that was inspired by God, but instituted by humans. We came through traffic systems. We came through, uh, we have financial systems that we work through. We have political systems that are over us, and all of these things are human things that have partnered with God, inspired by Him, some of them ordained by Him, and some of them amazing right? Think about medical advances, think about all of that stuff. Where would we be without those things, right? Created by humans, empowered by God. But the truth is not every system that we've created is helpful. In fact, because we, we as people, we're not perfect, are we? We're subject to the fact that we missed the mark of what God had called us to. So we've created some systems that are unhelpful in our world. For generations, our desire for productivity has introduced a system of slavery, and still in our world today that's a that's a problem uh, because of our desire for more resource and, and for more stuff we've 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 damaged our climate right we we've damaged the very world that we were meant to look after because we want things at better value. Uh, What we've done is we've created dishonesty in the world, in the workplace, and in trading, and all of those things. So there's not every system that we've created, even though we were created by God and went to partner with him to do that, not everything that we've created has been good. And actually right throughout this book in the Bible, we we hear more and more moments of humans creating systems that were not God-glorifying. And so God needed a creative solution. So what did he do? He sent his son. He sent Jesus. It was his rescue plan. I and mean, when Jesus came to earth, he called us to creatively partner with God. Again, one of the verses that we said right at the start of this kingdom series, the first thing that, that's noted that Jesus taught about us, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as we've explained, and I won't go into it all today, but repent meant to think differently. Turn around. He was saying, you can't keep doing the same things that you were doing and expect different results. It's going to require a shift. It's going to require creative partnership in order to do this. He had come to free us from darkness, but he needed to train us how to live in light. And so Jesus calls us into creative partnership with God. How many people, put your hands up if you're aware that there are some problems in our city, in our town, in our community. Anyone aware? A few things. Do you know that the greatest solution for our cities, our towns, our villages, our hamlets, and our fields lies in the partnership between our mind and his mind. That's where the solution lies. It's where it's always laid. Because we've got the creator of all things willing to partner with us and want to see those things happen. But how do we do that? Well, what I would love to do today is I want to tell you some stories of places and people right across the world that have done just that. God's done some amazing things here, but I want to share these stories with you, and I want to ask some questions about these stories. The first is a city in Argentina called Resistencia. Okay, That's not an actual picture of it. I did find one of another city, but I couldn't find one of those for free. So, (laughs) is Argentina, just so we're clear. Um, This is a large city, northern Argentina. It's got 400,000 people living in it, and it is a difficult place. What do you hear? It's bio. The name of the city means opposition, It is famous for being immersed in witchcraft. Demonic altars would defile its sidewalks. In addition, the cult of Saint Death was the chief principality over the region and it was widespread throughout the place. In the population of 400,000, there were 5,143 people who followed Jesus. Very specific. Those 5,000 people attended 70 churches in the city. 68 of them came as a result of a church split. So if you haven't booked anywhere for your holidays you know, it's open. But here's what happened. Believers from seven of those churches decided enough was enough. They didn't want their city known for that. So what they decided to do was to pray around their city in little clusters. They called them lighthouses. And their goal was to see miracles in the marketplace rather than just in the services. None of them were experts, none of them had any earthly influence, just people who understood that Jesus had called them to make all things new. And I'm summarizing this story. You can read the full story in a book called Ecclesia by a guy called Ed Silverso, I think. I can't pronounce his second name. But this is what happened. They reported in the initial phase that 7,000 people came to faith. In the years that have passed, they now say that 25 percent of that city has followed Jesus, 100,000 people. The influence in the city is widespread. The mayor, judges, police officers, lawyers, doctors, most of whom had never set foot inside an evangelical church, have now welcomed the kingdom of God into their spheres of influence. That's good. But this has resulted in new water tanks being built in poor neighborhoods to dispense fresh water. The regional hospital has now received new medical equipment, increasing the care that they can provide for the community. The kingdom literally filled the city as the gospel became the subject of favorable conversations in cafes, football matches, radio, TV, parks, and plazas. Sounds like city transformation, right? Not just people, but powers and principalities. Isn't that incredible? But here's my question, if our God is everywhere, if our God is all-powerful, if our God is all-knowing, well, if it can happen there, why can it not happen here? If he is the God of yesterday, today, forever, then if there, why not here? Do you want another story? Just three of you, okay, oh, that's all I need. Up until 2012, Ciudad Juarez in Mexico was known as one of the murder capitals of the world with over 10,000 murders to its discredit in a five-year period. So many people were killed there every day that 20% of its 1.5 million residents had fled the city, leaving 100,000 vacant homes and shops in which criminals would set up safe houses. But the tide turned because there was a pastor there called Poncho. That is his real name. And this is what he felt God had called him to do. He felt God called him to hand over his church to someone else. And that God wanted him to take a tent and camp at the entrance to their city and pray and fast for 21 days. And so that's what he did. He took his tent and he pitched his tent and did that. A journalist in the city had heard about this man that was was having a hunger strike because he was angry at the government. So his editor sent him down. The journalist goes to Poncho and says, what are you mad about? What are you protesting for? And Poncho said, I'm neither angry nor am I on hunger strike. On the contrary, I'm fasting and I'm praying for our city. I want to bring the blessing of God to Ciudad Juárez. The journalist goes back to his editor and explains what Poncho's doing and his editor says, well, why don't you go every day and ask him what God has said and we'll print it in the paper then. (laughs) So that's what they did. Those fresh and anointed words of hope generated so much interest that a growing number of people would come every day to ask for prayer. Drug addicts, prostitutes, but also dignitaries and government officials. At the end of the 21 fast, more than 4,000 had gathered And Poncho was able to announce by faith the beginning of a new day for their city. The mayor, who'd heard about it, invited him in to help clean up one of the worst prisons in their city. And he started to make changes as a chaplain. In a short time, the inmates began to get healthier. They ate decent meals, they gained weight, they kicked old habits. And especially so in those who'd invited Jesus into their heart. Bribes and prostitution were eliminated. The congregation of believers inside the prison grew to 650 members. Another Christian who had grown up under this pastor was appointed to run the entire Justice Department for the city. And there were so many other things that we could say. But today, Ciudad Juarez is now one of the safest cities in Mexico. Many cartel bosses have been captured. Homicides have decreased by 80%. Extortions by 90%. And kidnappings by 100%, according to city official. People who fled in terror have returned in hope. When Poncho was asked what's the turning point, he describes a moment where he and another pastor said yes to God, went to a high place in the city, and they said, Juarez, you are no longer an orphan city. You've been adopted by your Father in heaven and by us. <laughs> so the question I ask is, if there, why not here? Do you want another one? There's more of you this time. Good. <laughs> Well, about one from somewhere we might know a little better, California. In 2008, Vallejo was the first large city in California to declare bankruptcy in the economic crisis. Unrighteousness, turmoil and sadness overtook the population because schools and public services were underfunded and unemployment rose, real estate plummeted. But a group of ministers came together and decided to bring the kingdom of God to the city. So they gathered in the steps of their city hall, and the mayor met them and said, continue to pray. Pray regularly, pray consistently, but most importantly, uh, dedicate this city to God. So they began. One business owner was deeply affected, a Christian man called Michael Brown. He recounted the beginning of this, and he goes, I'd been asking God during the prayer time, God, is what I do every day, does it really matter? But through it, I learned that I am a minister of God who brings righteousness, peace, and joy to the marketplace, and my company is my ministry. When he returned to his workplace, one of his colleagues, Adriana, said, when Michael came to us and said something about transformation that the business now belonged to God, we weren't really sure what he meant, but the more we listened, the more we understood. From that moment on, the corporate lifestyle of the company changed because, as Michael puts it, God became chairman of the board, Jesus was the CEO, the Holy Spirit was his legal counsel, and he became a steward over God's work. And it wasn't only his business. They started projects called Transformation Vallejo. They had prayer initiatives where the city was walked by prayers. They had graduation programs for young black men. And when they adopted the prayer streets, what they would do is they would hang cards on the door handles of people letting them know that their street had been prayed for and that they had their back. The city began to shift. Businesses started to grow and send in testimonies of what had happened. A year later, Mayor Davis confirmed, you can clearly see a difference. There's a difference in the makeup of this city and what it looks like physically. There's a difference in the attitude of the people and get this, everyone has more hope. (laughs) And I ask the question, if there, why not here? If there, why not here? I mean, it was only, only this week I walked into the Hope Center and our own mayor was sitting there. Great man, Ivor Wallace. And one of the things, I think this is the most North Coast thing ever, is do you know that our mayor also works as a locksmith? Like that was his job. And so he does merry stuff and then he could turn up and fix your locks. Isn't that brilliant? But I was, I was thinking about it. I was like, Lord, that's just so funny. I love that that's what... I, and the Lord said, hey, do you notice that the person that's in charge of your community literally opens doors? And I went, whoa. And so we've got to pray for him, right? We've got to pray for our council. We've got to pray for our government. We've got to pray for all that God wants to do. You see, we have a choice in how we engage within our, our cities, within our towns, our communities, our fields. Oh, did I escape the camera? Um, and there's a way that we can do that. There's a guy called Andy Crouch. We talked about this before. We won't spend long on this because time's against us. But he talks about four ways that we often engage with culture as the church. We either condemn it, we critique it, we copy it, or we consume it. So he says sometimes what we do is we just condemn it and just say, Oh, that city's terrible. This community's awful. And sometimes we're a bit more subtle and we just critique it. We might not call it out, but we'll just point out what's right, what's wrong, just quietly. Sometimes we say we don't like what's going on out there, so we'll just create a Christian version of it. And sometimes we just blend in and say, what does it matter? But those of us who are following Jesus are called to something more than that. Because the truth is none of these things actually change our communities. If we had longer, we could, we could go through this. But biblically, we know that we are called to honor his creation and we've got a mandate and an instruction that he's given us. The very beginning of scripture in the book of Genesis, God says this to humankind. It says, God blessed them and he said, Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. We are not called to hide. We are not called to point the finger. We're not called to create just a Christian version so we're safe, those of us who follow Jesus. And we're not called to just blend in and whatever. We are called to engage and create. Church, I want to remind you, we are not on the defensive. Jesus is still on his throne. He is still victorious. Even though things at times might not look the way we would dream them, he is making all things new. Amen? Amen. It's true. See, I know so many in this room and so many of you watching online, whatever your community is and wherever it is, are desperate to see some things turn around, desperate to see some creative solutions. And I just want to ask some questions. Do you, do you believe that God might have an answer for maybe our energy crisis? Yeah. <laughs> do we believe that God might have an answer for the drugs that we see in our community, for domestic violence, for paramilitary activity? Yeah, yeah I think he might. Do you think he's got some answers for business and employment, for our health service and for education? Do you reckon he might have some ideas? I think he does. But the two bigger questions is, are we listening and are we asking? Or are we just waiting for someone else to sort it out? He's calling us into more. You see, right throughout the Scriptures, God always used creative solutions to to meet with his people. In fact, in, in the Bible, we... We see Jesus doing this, and often what he would do is he would use something that was familiar but do it in an unfamiliar way. So there's this amazing story in the scriptures. And we don't have time to read it all fully, but I encourage you to look at it. Where um, Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest friends, is asked by a religious expert, "Does your master, does Jesus, pay the temple tax?" And this was a bit of a debate that was going around. And so Peter answers him, and he goes back, and Jesus talks to him. And, and it doesn't matter what was said in the middle of it so much, but what Jesus said is, "Hey, Peter, go pay the temple tax, so that we're." We you know, so we don't create a fuss, right? Jesus wasn't worried about hanging on to his rights. He was like, ultimately, I don't really have to, but we're going to do it. And so what he says in the scripture, and we've we've got half of the verse here. Some of you will know what's coming next, but this is what happens. It says, so we don't cause offence, Peter. Go to the lake and throw out your line and take the first fish you catch. And we've cut off the verse because Peter was a fisherman. So what would be the logical next thing to happen? Catch the fish, take it to market, sell the fish, get the money, Pay the temple tax, right? That's what I would do. That's what I'd fill the gap. Jesus had a different idea. This is what he actually said. So we don't cause offense. Go to the lake, throw out your line, take the fish, open its mouth, and in it you'll find a four drachma coin. Take that and give it to them for my tax and yours, right? Take something that is familiar to Peter but uses it in an unfamiliar way. What if that's what he wants to do in our lives? What if he wants to take something that's familiar to us in our everyday but using it in an unfamiliar way? Well, you say maybe that's the only time. No, he used a burning bush to call Moses to say, liberate my people from slavery and the genocide that they're experiencing. Right, when it came to the Red Sea, he didn't say, let's wait and build a bridge. I'll just split it. Let's walk through. When Joshua, another guy in the Bible, is fighting a war and he's struggling with it, he asked God to keep the sun in the sky so it doesn't go down, so God did there's never been a day like it before. Right? Creative solution. Really creative solution. When one of his prophets, Elijah, is hungry, he sends food through ravens. Love that. How good would that be, by the way? Um, Whenever another person didn't um, listen to what God was trying to say and missed an angel that God had placed in front of him, God caused this donkey to speak to him. Right? That's what you're experiencing this morning. And it's just amazing. (laughs) God uses a virgin to carry Jesus. Miracles right the way throughout Scripture. He's always using something that looks familiar in an unfamiliar way because he's got creative solutions. Well, do you reckon that if there's that much creativity in this book, if there's that much creativity throughout history, that maybe he might have something creative to say to us today? I reckon there's a good chance. Our job's to listen, right? Let me tell you some more stories. I want to tell you about a story in China. A factory owner in China, and she decided that she wanted to dedicate her factory to Jesus. But in China, it wasn't the sort of thing that you could just sort of say, the factory is dedicated to Jesus. So she had to think, how am I going to do this? Because I'm not allowed to talk publicly about Jesus. So what she decided was that she got this one chair in her factory. This isn't the official chair, just in case you're wondering. And she decided to paint it, and they called it the Jesus chair. And she, again, they couldn't announce this, but just rumors spread around the factory that if you wanted to meet with Jesus, you could sit in that chair and you could ask him any question that Jesus would meet you there. The Jesus chair. Ha! Well, what was reported is that a year later, thousands of Chinese workers in that factory raised under atheism had come to Jesus as a result of having him answer the questions that he, they presented at the Jesus chair this businesswoman had set up. Ha! And so I asked the question, if there, why not here? It's put Jesus chairs everywhere. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. But if God can creatively use that there, why can't he use it here? Let me tell you another one. This is from a friend Pete Hughes. I talked to Pete last week, he's brilliant on, the, on this stuff, he tells a story in his book All Things New about a time where he went with Tear Fund to Africa and he went to this village and they were trying to help some of the people in, in poverty there in really difficult conditions to teach them about sustainability, how can they begin to, to walk into to more sustainability and so they would ask them the question essentially, what's in your hands? What resources do you have that can be used to turn this around? And, but he said the problem was in that community the answer every time was nothing Like, we literally have nothing, nothing that we could do. Um, And then they they met this one guy, and he had recently come to faith in Jesus, and and he didn't know what he could do, but he owned this piece of swampland. But the problem with this piece of swampland is it was attracting loads of mosquitoes, which meant that malaria rates in the area were sky high. It was no exaggeration to say that his land was killing people. But as they worked and as they dreamed about, (coughs) pardon me, what could happen, they decided... What they would do is to dig a pond in that area and try and breed some fish to see if they could maybe make enough income to, to start feeding the people, maybe to sell some. Well, what happened is that pond became really productive. In fact, so much so that they were able to the man was able to feed his family and actually bred, bred enough fish, sorry, to feed the village. Um, And then even over time, what began to happen is they they had excess fish because the fish started producing at such a rate that they were able to sell it at a nearby market. This was able to generate enough income to send village children to school. So they decided to dig another pond. And, And that's in the early stages of being built when Pete was out there. But the income generated from that pond was used to employ people to manage the ponds. And now they've got three ponds and now they have a dream for even more ponds. Now, the, 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 the person in the Tier Fund project, they began to investigate why are these ponds so much more productive than what they would have expected? Why on earth was this pond more productive than what they'd expected? Well, do you know what they found out? That the fish had been feeding on the mosquito larvae. <laughs> the very swamp that was causing the deaths of the people in the camp, not only was it now economically providing for those people, but because the fish were eating the mosquitoes, the malaria rates were going down as well. That's pretty creative. And I asked the question, if there, why not here? And don't say it's because we don't have mosquitoes. And if I had time, I'd tell you about more heroes of the faith. I'd tell you about a guy called John, who back in the 1800s had such a healing ministry that reports say that there wasn't a person in his city that hadn't heard the gospel because of how much he'd preached and prayed for people. I'd tell you about Maria, who was known as a person who would break towns open because of one of her meetings in 1885, the police said there was such a change in their city that they had no more work to do. (laughs) Yeah. I tell you about another John, who um, his city was reported by a government official that between the years of 1915 and 1920, it was not, it was officially known as the healthiest city in the world because no one was sick, because he and his people prayed for that many people. I tell you about Amy, who had so many criminals in the, in the enemy underworld because she'd seen so many key leaders come to faith that she needed protection. <laughs> and so I ask another question: If them, why not us? they ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Then I started thinking about the amount of Christians over the years that have invented or discovered things that are now incredible things in our world. Here's the l- list that I've come up with. Do you know that Christians discovered or um, first invented the electron, electromagnetic induction, genetics, gravity, reflecting telescope, vector analysis, microbiology, the discovery of cystic fibrosis and Huntington's disease, and nursing? Florence Nightingale added twenty years on to people's life expectancy through what she developed in nursing. The electric battery, probability, the first two laws of thermodynamics, Morse code, and calculator. And there's more. And so I ask a third question If then, why not now? Why not now? If you're here this morning watching this or in the room and you follow Jesus and you have a pulse, you've got all that you need to be released to be a city transformer. Most of these cities that we're talking about, the the, the people who follow Jesus in those cities are probably less than 1% of the population, way less in some places. Do you know that pre-COVID, I worked this out once in the North Coast, on an Easter Sunday pre-COVID, there was roughly about 10% of the population of the old Corian borough was in a church service. 10%. I'm not saying all of them were followers of Jesus. I'm not saying all of them were full on going for the kingdom, but imagine if that 10% caught this. Never mind the rest of them. What about us? There's enough of us in this room, the service that was before this, in our youth and in our kids. That's already way more than what the disciples had when they started. That's way more than those believers in Argentina or Mexico or China or in Africa. What if we caught this? What if we really caught what Paul wrote about about in Colossians when, when God saw Jesus and he says, for God was pleased to have all God's fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What if we really chose to partner this with that to see the restoration of all things? And so there's three questions I want to leave us with before we leave. You might have heard them already. So they're going to come up on the screen. If there, why not here? If them, why not us? And if then, why not now? I guess the question is, who are we waiting for? Are we waiting for God? He's already given us permission I think he's waiting on us. And so I want to encourage each of us today. We're all involved in this. Let's be people that seek to partner with him to see the restoration of all things. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. For more information, resources and opportunities, you can check us out at cosmicoastvenyard.com.